Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 4, Forget Me Not, is over. But we're just getting started on post-show recaps. My name is Jess Lees. With me as well is Mike Bloom. Let's talk some disco. We really enjoyed this episode, so I think this pod will be fun. Mike, are you ready to get into the events of this episode? I sure am, Jess. I'm a little confused as to the stiltedness of your introduction, uh, but you know what? I'm going to keep rolling forward with it. I'm going to hopefully not get sucked into it like you would into a nice little troll whirlpool and talk about this episode of Disco, which I thought was sublime. Ah, you lost the haiku contest, Mike. Damn it. <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm a verbose person. I am not necessarily known for ones that are limit to words or limits to syllables. So forgive me if I was completely steamrolling it. Maybe I was thinking of the next crack to make it Colbert's blood being strewn all about the sick bay that I wasn't even thinking about the poetry emotion. Yeah, it, it's true. Like the if you're get if you're caught up in something else, you have a hard time crafting your haikus as Detmer definitely demonstrated. But there are some weird accidental haikus. I I noted one in particular. I was like, that was also a haiku in a totally different part of the episode. Interesting. So I almost want to go back and see if there are more haikus. I, and maybe this is because we're sitting all day in the post-show recaps discord where haiku bots oh, frequently true. will find accidental haikus that people yeah, have we, said. We know, we know whose favorite episode this is. Well, You know what? Much like the Sphere Data merged with the computer this episode, maybe haiku bot merged with the computer this episode as well to produce this, this script for this episode. Yep. Fan theory. Zora is haiku bot. Listen, it it could absolutely uh, it could absolutely be a thing, but no, unfortunately, uh, you know, no no bloody stories uh, this week. We save them for the Amazing Race podcast, Jess. So unfortunately, I am all out. Unless you have any tales of m- laughing mercilessly at bloodshed of others while also accusing them of not pulling their weight on the ship. No, that's really not my style, Mike. I I got I got to tell you, I'm more of a I'm more of a throw a haiku in to throw everybody else off guard person. Mm. Like Giorgio, sir- definitely. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I could definitely see your energy of, of the ones who are like interrupting the big, like lengthy, sappy speech to be like, what are we eating right now? Uh, you know, I, I don't know why she gets invited to these things. Personally, I guess for comedy's sake, it's good that she is. But honestly, like, I don't understand why Saru has not just ejected her out of an airlock at this point. So she is such a thorn in his ganglia right now. Yeah, or at least like don't invite her your, to your special ceremonial dinner with the bridge crew. You know, exactly. Like, oh, and I guess I have to invite Giorgio. Unless, do you think she's someone's plus one? Was she Linus's plus oh, one? Oh, yeah, I think you nailed <laughs> yeah. it, Mike. She's definitely Linus's He's plus like, one. Well, uh, I will. I'm glad to go to dinner, but can I bring Giorgio with me? Yeah, and and Saru is like, I didn't say you could bring a date. Nobody else is bringing a date. You don't see Colbert here. Like, Stavis didn't even bring his husband. No, Colbert was there. Colbert oh, was, was, there. The, was That's Colbert right. was the one who did the the fantastic like pseudo haiku where he screws up the very last syllable, John That's Ralphio right. style. Yes. Yeah, he did. He John Ralphioed it. Um, yo, you're right. I and and he sort of sticks up for Stamets at some point. Yeah. Well, okay. But do we think he got invited or is he a plus one? Well, that's the thing as well. This is this is what I've been wondering, especially with you know we get his log for the first time opening up this episode. I because he is not the 
chief medical officer. I believe Dr. Pollard is still like the go-to person. So it's interesting how I guess this is sort of a microcosm of the whole Michael Burnham of it all uh, that, you know, we we are focusing when it comes to the sick bay more on one of the lesser thans than like the actual head person. They're the ones that have the more interesting content. Granted, it's because they are so inevitably linked to a very important officer. But I, I always forget when I like watch him, especially in this episode, which was a pretty good few episode of, oh, yeah, he's not the go to person. But if you're looking from like a dialogue share, it's quite the opposite story. Yeah, it, it, it's true. It's and it's interesting that Discovery kind of bridges the gap between you have like TNG, which is very high minded. Everybody who's in charge of everything is the people that have the stories. And then you mm-hmm. have something like Lower Decks, where right. they spend way too much time on the bridge crew to begin with. But allegedly, they are about the people at the bottom rung. And then here we have a mix of people, which is how it really mm-hmm. – Maybe it's one of the reasons that we're responding so well to Disco this season, because we even said when we were talking about Lower Decks, how we would like it if we had a mixture of people at every level. Like, show us the middle management, which I think Colbert counts as middle management. Exactly. And I am so ashamed that it's taken me five minutes to realize that we should call Disco Haikus Paikus. And I will just leave it at that. Yeah. You're right. I will I will drop the mic as it were. I I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this episode Jess, cuz cuz I will admit, you know, uh, I got to see this episode early and on the numerous podcasts I've been this past week, I've touted this episode in particular as one of my favorites of the series so far. Did I build it up too high in your expectations, Jess? How how did it end up matching up for you? Well, Mike, I have to say I was going to be favorably inclined toward this episode to begin with because trills kind of my thing. Uh, Mm. But I don't think you oversold it. I think this episode was fantastic and it was such a great, it was such a great uh, way to get into how everybody is responding to all of this terrible stuff they went through because I think it's something Star Trek has not been great about in the past. I think. Yeah. You know, DS9 was good at saying, okay, we're doing awful things here and we're going to have some repercussions to that. We're going to be traumatized. And you have the whole thing with Nog coming back from the war with PTSD. And they really delved into that in a way that Star Trek hadn't up until that point. But I think they never really do it enough. And here it's like, you are going through something traumatic pretty much every week in Star Trek. Why don't you have to contend with the fallout. And so this week, Mm -hmm. I think they did that in a really kind of lighthearted way. But then we also have Adira's storyline, which is very, which is very much about suppressed trauma and coming to terms with everything that has happened to her. Yeah, it's, you know, you, you really hit the nail on the head there when you speak about, I think, The general non-serialization of Star Trek up to this point, Sans DS9, unfortunately does not give way to acknowledging things that happen outside of your usual, like, well, the Borg is here. Remember when we went met the Borg in IQ? Uh, You know, really making acknowledgement of of that type of stuff. It's less so, like, one TNG uh, example that I always go back to is there was an episode of TNG where Geordi essentially became a Manchurian candidate for the Romulans Mm -hmm. and nearly killed a bunch of the crew and sabotaged his own ship. And there's this very like just very dark final scene where it's like him with Deanna Troy and Deanna Troy's like yeah I don't think you'll ever be the same way again and then it cuts to credits and we never acknowledge that <laughs> and the next again. week he exactly. is the same again 
And that's unfortunately due to like, you know, a lot of the syndication stuff at the time as well. We can't really have storylines that carry over because when we syndicate them, we want to have people be able to tune into them at any time, uh, which I think I'm glad that model has sort of gone out the window a tiny bit. But what I really enjoyed about this episode to that point is while I felt like last week had a lot of conventional Star Trek theming, I think this week had a lot of conventional Star Trek structure. Uh, you know, I think it is it's a good correlation that this is my favorite episode of the season so far. And this is the first episode of the season that did not have a major brouhaha brawl going on or a, or a phaser fight. Uh, not to say that, like, I, I hate any sort of knock out fights that happen, but I think disco more than any of the modern Star Trek series have really branded themselves as like action adventure which I never really thought that Star Trek really was up to that point. It was a little bit more wordy, a little bit more contemplative. Of course, there were certainly fights, starting back with Kirk's weird two-handed fists <laughs> on the Gorn, but it always, to me, was more about you know the philosophies of things. And, and one of the things that I sort of have bristled with with Disco up to this point is how they really were, have been so focused to that note of serialization on like moving the plot forward, making conflict happen, moving from point to point to point, quite literally, as of last season— and I was just so happy this week to breathe for mm-hmm. many reasons. And it's not a, it's not it's not a bottled breath. Uh, it's a to your point, the the Adira stuff uh, was a poignant move forward and a great explanation and fill in of, of their backstory as to possibly some mysteries moving forward. And even in the Beast story proper, you know, there there was some movement forward on those characters, well, particularly with the Detmer stuff, which had been sort of something that had been lingering the past couple of episodes. So there was forward momentum, but I would say it was at impulse rather than warp. But I was very happy at a cruising speed. I think when you take a second to work on characters rather than maybe answering the big mysteries or MacGuffins to get to, it it, it lends you a lot of positives. And I think we saw that foremost in this episode. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, especially I think – it's a shame to have Michelle Yeoh on your show and not use her in all of the ways that she can do things. But it's also like George O is almost on a different show most of the time. Right. And so I felt like we were really – everybody else was just sort of visiting the George O show, especially I think two weeks ago I, we saw that mm-hmm. kind of in capital letters. But we really don't take time to stop down and think about all the things that make Star Trek what Star Trek is instead of just like nonstop, we're going to break a guy's neck with our legs sort of stuff, which not to say it wasn't great fighting. I just think we need to not be fighting all the time. Even DS9, even DS9 (laughs) went and hung out in Vic Fontaine's hollow suite program or, or played some baseball for an episode, you know, like there, there are those moments to take it. That's why, That's why G. Officer Krupke exists at the beginning of Act 2 of West Side Story (laughs) after people have died. You know, there there is a moment to to take that sort of breath, and I felt like they were able to really do that this episode, but still, you know, speak to these character moments. Even someone like Saru, you could say, had some some character moments in this episode in that this was really his first true test as a captain. You know, you could say that everything with the UEDF last episode was maybe his first external test as a captain, but this was his first internal test of, okay, you can present yourself as the leader to whatever aliens are coming your way, but at the end of the day, you have to have your crew to trust you. And I think, you know, especially coming from Saru, who he himself is obviously not the warmest figure. I think the best word to describe him is probably clinical. Uh, So to have him sort of figure out 
what to the point where he is basically asking the computer for icebreakers. Uh, <laughs> it, it speaks to his character as well. I think it's just it was a really good episode for a lot of people. And I will also say we have come so far in, in recent years uh, about the idea of, of mental health and, you know, acknowledging when you are not OK and how that is not a sign of weakness. And I, I do love that lampshading as well, that essentially since Starfleet recruits the best of the best, that comes with egos, and we have seen that, and I feel like one of the, the edges of the sword of an ego is that you are afraid to admit when you need help sometimes, because that means that you are telling someone, like, I cannot do it by myself. And I wouldn't say the message of the B story wasn't necessarily like, it's okay to not be okay, more so, it's okay to let people know you're not okay. Uh, and I, I think that is something that is very resounding especially today, but not in a way that was like so overtly, you know, mm -hmm. underlined as maybe even something like last week of the we are different. We are the same type of theming. Yeah, it, it's true. It, it and it says that everybody responds to trauma differently, I mm. think, was another message we got here where some people are angry and some people are trying to bottle it up and some people are just spoiling for an opportunity to peace out and take the wine with them. Yeah, exactly. And it's also, it's, it's an idea as well of, you know, I think one reason why a lot of modern Trek has maybe taken a more of a, a downturn look at the universe, I would <laughs> yeah. say, than, than the Roddenberry days is, is I think this idea of an uncertain future is something that looms over us and as a result the content that we create and i think this episode does a great job thematically as well especially with the adira storyline quite literally is let's look back on you know what has informed who we are now and even though the future is uncertain we can look to the past and sort of anchor ourselves in that both the good and the bad and that's what adira literally did right they are mm -hmm. unmoored at the moment, they are lost and they are of no help to themselves or to Disco. And in acknowledging both their triumph and their trauma from the past, they are then able to move forward with quite literally a path into the future. And I, I just found, I don't know, it's, I do not want to get too, uh, too timely about this, but I, I would say there was a lot of theming going on in this particular episode that worked in this particular week. And I will leave it at that. I, I think that is completely fair to say, Mike. But before we leave the B story, which I think we've covered everything we need to really yeah, in the I B mean, story. I, I, think, I think it was it was fun. It was also a long overdue conversation between Detmer and Stamets because you could tell there was something simmering below the surface. Like you could tell if you were in either one of their positions, if you were either the helmsman or you were this sort of like spore drive operator, you sort of look at the other person and be like, yeah, but I'm the one who's actually driving the ship. Yeah. You know, it's, it's them literally jockeying for this metaphoric story, a s steering wheel. And so it was a conversation that I think we were waiting to happen between these two. And I'm, I'm glad that it did uh, to a certain extent. It did make for, you know, it's a nice preview. We're encroaching upon like two weeks until things Thanksgiving, so it's a nice preparation for the awkward family meals I'm sure we're all going to <laughs> yep. undergo. Uh, hopefully, you know, not a, not as much of a mass walkout as occurred during Saru's poor dinner. Yeah, well, you never know, Mike. Uh, I don't know how many people are coming to your house for Thanksgiving, but I'm always prepared for the mass walkout. That's yeah, why I make extra pie. I was going to say, and just just be the Giorgio then in that situation. Just like, how's the wine? And be like, I'm in really enjoying this food. This food is great. And try try to get in as many haikus as you can just for us. We won't be there, but we'll we'll get a feeling of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And can I just also finally say, I want a short trek about therapeutic coloring books. Ooh, absolutely. I mean, I think I want to, I don't want a short trek about therapy in general. You know, actually, it would be an interesting short trek if we got like, I mean, obviously, Colbert is not, I think, responsible from a therapy perspective, even though that's kind of what Saru ends up recruiting him for at the end of the day. But I would love a sort of like in treatment style short trek Mm -hmm. where it's going like we sit on the couch of whoever this counselor is, whether it be Deanna Troy or somebody else. And we sort of cycle through all these different crew members They could be known or unknown. And we just sort of see the various, uh, you know, positives and negatives they have about their lives at that point. Yeah, I would, I think that would be a lot of fun as well because we always, you know, we've had therapists on the show for years and years, starting with Deanna Troy, because, you right. know, original series Star Trek was never going to have a therapist on board, but they at least by the eighties were hip to that need. But it's funny that we never actually see them do much more than like Deanna Troy sitting back and saying, well, I sense that you're not feeling good about this. Right. And that's it's it's weird, right? Because that is unfortunately like one of the many issues with the Deanna Troy characterizations because they're like, well, she's a counselor. What do we do with that? And like the only couple things I remember is like her with Barkley, where Barkley was pervin on her because she was like he was seeing her constantly for therapy. Otherwise, they like and that's why, you know, in season five, season six, they're like, we're going to have her try to jockey for the command upgrade now because like we're 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 running out of stuff for her to do as a counselor. Yeah, I mean, even Deanna Troy was like, I don't know if I'm comfortable in this role anymore. I'm going to go be command, which is more appropriate to the storylines. And I don't want to get too far down this path, Mike, but back in the day, like we're talking 20 years ago at this point, I think DS9 was actually still on the air at that point. I was in a play-by-email role-playing game that took place in the Star Trek universe. Amazing. And I was the ship's counselor. (gasps) And all I did was I, I would write these therapy sessions where people would come and like talk to me about their they're ridiculous problems, and I would just use like therapy buzzwords, and that was how I wrote the character. It was the <laughs> so most like, fun. She, so you like BS your way through it of like, oh, oh yeah, how does that make you feel? Oh yeah, I, my my character was constantly asking people how it made them feel. That is so. That is so interesting. So wait, so was there like a central narrator to this? Like, where did you send the logs into? Oh, we had a we had a list serve. This is how long okay. ago it was, and so you would write your you would write your log, and then you would if you had another character that you needed. That was in there too. You had to share it with them so that they could sign off on it. And then you mm-hmm. would post it to the list serve and then you'd kind of further the story that way. Interesting. So did you have a, like, was it a lot of back and forth with people during sessions or like, what was your role as the counselor? Did you get involved with a lot of the action a la Deanna Troy? Oh, I sure did. Because I was also like, I was in the, I was in the sick bay, like kind of assisting when there were mm-hmm. medical emergencies. And then I had a romance with the executive <gasps> officer. And, yeah, oh Yeah. It was it was very fun, and then he was he was a Romulan defector who then I see I'm going very far down this path. Who then? No, I, I'm no, I'm in, yeah. I'm riveted right now. I he just was, want to let you know he was a Romulan defector who was possessed by the spirit of his dead brother, and there was a whole there was like a whole subplot about Katra, and it, it was it was great. I was in this for like five solid years, and that, I, I that sounds incredible. Yeah. I'm severely jealous that I was I, not able to do that. I wish there was another one. I would totally get on board. A post show recaps universe. If you all want to do a Star Trek play by email role playing game, I will set up the list serve and I will be oh in on God. that because it was uh, Mike. It was so fun, and we're gonna. I swear, this is coming back around to what happened this mm-hmm. episode <laughs> in a big way. 
I actually dressed as my play-by-email role-playing character at a Star Trek convention. Oh, my God. So when you were asked, like, what was the answer you provided? Well, it was pretty obvious because I was wearing, I was wearing like, the science blue DS9 era uniform, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. had I, – I was just, like, generic trill character. See, I brought it back around. There because my go. character was go. a trill, and I just had like the, the uniform and the spots, and people were like, that is awesome. They don't care who specifically I'm supposed to be. Interesting. So yeah. were your were your spots as subtle as they were in the disco era? Because I got to say, and I know we'll go back to the B story, because I know there's, there's at least one more thing that I want to bring up. But I will say, disco era trill are, are a little more like under the radar in terms of their spotting, from my perspective. I think it's just the filter through which you shot it. And I'm going to, I will get, when we get into this more deeply, I I can tell you more about what I think about this, but having just recently watched a Deep Space Nine era episode about trills for the purposes of this very discussion, you used a very different color palette and there's a lot less contrast in what Mm. we're shooting now. And so I think you also, they're in high def, so they feel like they can shoot in lower light. A lot of this episode was very mm. low light. So right. I think the spots, I, I clocked them. And there's also, there's also a certain amount more diversity too. Like there was yeah. more variance in skin tones. <laughs> well, so. yeah, we get, uh, oh man, as soon as I saw leader, leader Valley, the grenade was, I'm like, is that Ronnie from Schitt's Creek? <laughs> yep. And that indeed <laughs> totally was is. Ronnie from, I think Karen Robinson, I think her name is yep. Ronnie from Schitt's Creek is the leader. She finally made her way out of that town. Uh, now I just wanted like a Bob equivalent. You know, I guess that was that one guy who wanted to help them. But we're getting beside ourselves because yeah. I want to go back to the B-plot for one second because hidden within all of this really great character stuff, Jess, uh, speaking yep. of short treks, we have a real callback, or should I say call forward yep. to the final resting place of, of Discovery, the vessel itself. Yeah, and they started out making this very, very subtle. And then they're like, nope, I don't think people got it. Let's make it big. Yeah, let's bring in the voice, the British voice actress from the short trek and have her like voice go in and out for a couple of seconds and then blip back in again. Yep. And then it's like, that's pretty cool. And I think people would get talking about that. But then it's like, oh, no, we need to make sure that everybody understands the Sullivan's Travels-esque healing power of cinema. And so everybody's got to watch old things that Paramount has the copyright to. And everybody will feel better after they've had a chance to watch this movie. To be fair, would you have rather watched Buster Keaton a marathon, I suppose, as they were doing here, or Funny Face, which Zora did uh, in, in the Short Treks uh, short Calypso? It's a good question. I don't think Funny Face is the best of the Fred Astaire oeuvre. Yeah. I would rather watch Royal Wedding, which is in the public domain, so we could all watch it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. Buster Keaton's pretty great. Uh, that was, it looked like they were having a lot of fun. It's really weird, Mike, because I feel like everything I watched this week had a, had that Sullivan's Travels callback where they zoom in on like people's faces as they're yeah. reacting to the transformative power of cinema because, uh, not to spoil everybody on everything, but walking, Fear the Walking Dead, the uh, Walking Dead World Beyond had a scene exactly like this this week mm. too. So interesting. It's it's all it's all coming back around to Veronica Lake, I guess. And it's so interesting because it's it's like you look at this and you're like, yeah, why don't they do more movie screenings? You know, I love that they cleared out the shuttle bay that they had everyone in there and they did like the hollow screen. You don't even need to put up like a bed sheet or anything. Yeah. Uh, You know, obviously in in TNG era, especially you had like 
uh, Data and O'Brien performing in the string quartet or Beverly Crusher putting on her plays in the holodeck. But otherwise, I feel like like maybe you don't need to do things that get people actively involved. Maybe it's sort of speaking again to that Star Trek motto of like always got to be working, even if it's for if it's for leisure sake, which is why I think the point that was made of, you know, really merging the sphere data with the computer outright in this episode was being like, ooh, it's suggesting unconventional things like movie night and dun-dun-dun, <laughs> giving everyone the night off, which <laughs> is like, I, when you think about it, like, yeah, it's a it's a condition that you think they'd want to utilize more, but I guess, again, this is, this is the military-esque Star Trek. You know, they would want to use three, if not four shifts, even if the, the work being done is not the most high priority. Yeah, and that's another thing that I think modern era Star Trek gets that past Star Trek did not, mm-hmm. which is that being on duty in the military all the time would suck. Yeah. And you wouldn't have the variance in personalities that you do. And I think this is something Star Trek didn't – or Star Wars didn't get at all either, which is like the whole Star Trek – the modern era Star Wars – films had a character who was so militarized that he didn't even have a name and he had to make one up for himself. And I'm like, that's not going to be a normal, well-adjusted person with a personality. (gasps) And I think modern era Star Trek gets this better than past Star Trek and any Star Wars ever, that if you want a variety of personality types and you know, a variety of interests and a spectrum of moods, then you have to let them get out of their uniforms every now and then and do something fun and let us see what they do for fun. Right. And I think that also helps in bringing in characters that are not affiliated with Starfleet proper, right? I think that's why we really enjoyed Book, the first three episodes. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think Adira was a really interesting character as well that I'm very happy we got to know even more in this episode. I think Blue Del Barrio is knocking it out of the park. Uh, I think the the vulnerability with which they have shown so far, you know, obviously it's, it's going to be much more Esri Dax than Jadzia Dax if we're comparing the two Trill characters that we know previously. But I don't know. I, I think what they were able to do, I mean, I was utterly moved by all of the Adira and Grey stuff. Uh, and so I think Blue DeBario did a really magnificent job this episode of showing that vulnerability, showing some playfulness with Michael Burnham, which is very fun because then we get to see more playful Michael Burnham. But then also showing like just giving a fantastic distillation of this relationship in the course of literally three scenes, uh, which I think was actually done extremely effectively. I yeah, I was really I was really impressed and I I wondered actually how this would play to someone who wasn't whose favorite alien race in Star Trek was not the Trills because I got it immediately and I was sucked into that the same way they were sucked into the pool and I was I loved the way that story was told and how much of the Trill homeworld they were able to bring in very quickly Mhm but I I was curious as to how that would play to someone who wasn't familiar with the concept. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, it's obviously the way, because I know that you did some research as and some homework as to the last time we went to the planet Trill outright, because this is the la- not the last time that we, or not the first time we saw these milky white caves of yeah. Maklar, I think the, there was something yeah. like the name was. We, we've seen them in Deep Space Nine, but I do not recall them being done in such a trippy way. So even from the outset, the visuals, both between the verdant greenery of the Trill planet itself to the upside down weirdness that was getting sucked into that pool and then connecting. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, I'm always game for that type of trope of, of, of reconnecting with your memories. And I think that re exploring like sort of a lost identity through repressed memories is, is a really cool idea. I know that the, the idea of a trill also stands for some really interesting identity aspects. I don't think we've stumbled upon that Yet, it does seem like moving forward, Adira Tall is going to be specifically Adira Tall and not really bring in factions of Grey Tall or Senatol or anything like that, though we'll talk about the Grave at all later on. But I think when it's, when it's less about the host and more about specifically Adira coming to terms with their own memories through this, albeit pretty invasive process, it's, for lack of a better term, therapeutic. It is. It definitely is. And it is, I would say, if... People haven't done this already. You have CBS All Access. You have access to the whole Star Trek universe. I really recommend you go back and watch the season three Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode Equilibrium because there are a few things that we need to talk about with regard to this episode that happened Mm. in that episode. And honestly, like Jadzia Dax is one of my all-time favorite Star Trek characters. I think just because she's like that gone girl, cool girl archetype. (laughs) So you think she would uh, she would try to set her husband up for murder uh, and then come back and claim that she was pregnant uh, in order to to stay with him forever? I don't know if I'd go that far, Mike, but she definitely is like she would kill Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, she's like the kind of person like I have a lot of boyfriends, but I don't have a lot of boyfriends. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I would rather I prefer the company of men to the company of women. And yeah, that's that was Jadzia Dax. Yeah. In a nutshell, like kind of like I'm too cool to hang out with the other girls. I'm going to do guy stuff and all the guys think I'm awesome and want to be with me. And I don't know, like when I was when I was 18 years old, I thought that was rad. I <laughs> I think now Jadzia Dax plays very differently to me, but she was my favorite back in the day. And so this was always one of my favorite episodes. And the premise of this episode is that – she starts to have some hallucinations and starts to feel really off. And the details in this episode go straight into the episode we just watched of Discovery, right mm-hmm. down to they are tracking Jadzia Dax's isoboramine levels throughout wow. the entire did, episode. Do they have did they have the big ass glowing globe to do so, or is that a prop for Discovery? That's a prop for Discovery. Okay. But- they do send her back to the Trill homeworld where the Trill ministry is checking her out to see what's wrong with her. Like, what's wrong with her isoboramine levels? Oh, yeah. I'm starting to remember yeah. this now. And yeah. she's rejecting the symbiont and they think they're going to have to take it out of her and put it in somebody else. And then she starts to 
play music, which she never could before. P.S. That happened this episode too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she plays this tune. She doesn't recognize it and she's trying to figure out what it is. And they figure out that it was written by this guy that died 86 years ago. Huh. That's weird. Nobody knows who he is. They know his name. That's about it. They find his brother who's super old. His brother's like, yeah, I think he was joined for a little while. It's hard to remember. And it turns out that he was a Dax for six months. And while he was joined, he became a serial killer and he murdered three people. And they're like, well, that's not good. He probably shouldn't have put the Dax in him. Let's take him out and put him in Curzon. And let's pretend this never happened. And they erased Dax's memories of that six-month period. But the memory block was wearing off. And that's why Jadzia was feeling all jiggity about it. And, so, and this and this was when there's a future episode on DS9 where yes. Jadzia does sort of like a, a meet and greet with all of the various Daxes. Yes. That's the one who goes into Cisco, right? Yes. Cisco it, takes that persona on. Yeah, Cisco. It goes into Cisco and then it tries to murder her. <laughs> yes. Though apparently, though the big bad of that episode is actually Curzon Dax as Odo, yes. who has, like who's like, I don't want to go back. I'm good right now. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a fun one. That's that episode's facets, and it's also mm. a very fun watch. But this is the one that really digs into what Trill society is like and how what they value, what is the most important thing to the Trills. Because the thing that everybody is told on Trill is that one in a thousand people is eligible to be joined with the symbiont and you have to go through this rigorous years and years of training and mm-hmm. you have to, you have to be the best of the best. And Jadzia washed out of the program and reapplied and they're like, Oh, she's the first person ever to do that. That's crazy. And actually it turned out it was because she was being sexually harassed by Curzon Dax, but. Oh yeah. I remember that, that he yeah. sort of was like grooming her in a manner of speaking. Yeah, it was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I got, I got a recommendation. Like, come yeah. on in, you'll be fine. And then she turned him down and he's like, okay, you can't be joined. And then she's like, I'll show you, I'll get Dax. And she's like, oh, now I have to remember myself proving on myself. That's it's not cool. complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. It's complicated. So the Trill Ministry has had this party line out for years and years that you can't be joined unless you're the best of the best and you have to be undergo rigorous training. And it turns out that the reason that this was a problem for Jadzia Dax and for her previous host, Jerron, is that Jerron probably shouldn't have been joined because he had a lot of problems and yet he didn't reject the symbiont. Mm. And Trill Ministry is like, oh, yeah, it turns out that actually about 50% of the Trill population could handle a worm without rejecting it. We just don't want that to get out because then capitalism rolls in and then people are like right. clamoring for for symbionts. They're going to buy them. We don't want that. We are post-capitalist. We don't, we don't want to truck with that. So we're just going to pretend that it's a meritocracy and we can't let that secret get out. And this is what happens at the end of this Deep Space Nine episode where they say to, they say to Dr. Bashir and to Cisco, all right, just don't let this get out. And in exchange for you not telling anybody about this, we're going to let Jadzia embrace her previous host and then we won't talk about this again. And they're like, all right, we've achieved Jadzia being okay again, but at what cost? Exactly. That's uh, we were just talking beforehand about how yeah. a lot of Star Trek episodes either end with like the hopeful yeah. engage or like someone ruminating as like a soul blur at brass instruments. Yes, like, exactly. I did it, but but at what yeah. cost? And the final scene of this episode involves 
Jadzia Dax going into these same caves that we saw in this episode. Mm-hmm. And it really is pretty trippy, but it's not as trippy as it is this episode, I think, just because it was 1994 and they didn't exactly. have the effects. It was all practical yeah, effects. Yeah. Exactly. They could now put, uh, you know, Blue Barrio and Michael Burnham just in front or Snickle Bar Green in front of just a big green screen and say like, yeah, just pretend. OK, so there's a thread dangling over there. Yeah. Just pretend you touch the thread. And now there are all these sort of like neurons firing off around you react to that. Yep. Otherwise, a lot of this stuff had to be practical built into the set or at least against like a generic psych when they went off planet in these in these 90s series. Right, right. And so back in the 90s, the analog to this was she got into the pool and like. A bunch of like Emperor Palpatine electricity started crackling around her and then a dude pops up from the water and it's drawn and he's like, hi, do you know who I am? She's like, totally. And they embrace and then he kind of dissolves into her. And that's how she – so it's it's definitely – this episode definitely lays the groundwork for what we saw this past week in Disco in many, many ways, mm-hmm. not just in the idea that they're going to the Trill Home world and learning about this, but it's also, this is where you go to connect with your previous hosts and to get in touch with who you are. And this is how joining works. And this is what the Trill do and do not want to happen with regard yeah. to joining. There's so many things that I feel like it's almost, they should have at the top of this, they should have done that thing like they did when they went, when they delved deeply into the cage. Yeah, when they, when they showed events from the cage of the menagerie. Yeah. yeah, they they should have done that almost because there's so much of that episode that really informs what you see of the trills and explains why they're acting the way they are. Especially now in, in 3189, because, you know, we get a little bit of fill in as like, let's get a catch up of what the trill have been up to, uh, since the burn. And evidently it's been survival because the burn wiped the vast majority of them out. You speak about their high rates of, uh, inclusivity or low rates, I should say, but they barely have anyone to join with right now in general. And it's, and it's interesting, you know, to see the discrepancy between the one guy that greets them. And it's like, oh, my God, it's a blessing to have another Trill here to the absolute disgust on his face when she's like, well, I'm actually I'm a human. And yeah. he's like, what? Oh, my God. Get GTFO. Get out of here, Adira. <laughs> uh, and I think Karen Robinson character put it the best when she basically says, like, we don't have anything except our, our ideals and we can't lose that. And that's what Star Trek, I feel like, has always done best is like. And when it's at its best, it's showcasing the perspectives of the villains, quote unquote villains, to show that like everyone has a reason for doing something, even if the reasons yep. are not the most sound. And so I could understand like the, their isolationism as compared to Earth's isolationism from last episode. But obviously they're they're going to come around in it. But I thought it was an interesting check in as to, like you said, you know, the the purpose of the joining is to sort of continue a lineage of Trill for lack of a better term, and those chances have all but been wiped out. And so they've they've kind of been hoisted on their own sort of colorful robe petard at this point yep. in time. They, they definitely, clinging to that same ideal that pretty much nearly screwed them over back in the DS9 days, which is now like 600 years ago. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they essentially got a gift horse and like yeah. turned it around and spanked it and had it running back off in the other direction. Pretty much. Like, they could have figured out a way to truck that out. Although, on the other hand, Esri Dax also kind of screwed them in that regard. Mm. Like, pretty much Dax, just total iconoclast. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, let's let's talk about the Grey of it all, because I know that, obviously, we had been told Ian Alexander playing Grey 
playing a trill. We know that Grey is the first canonically trans character in the show, but we really knew nothing about Grey. The only thing I had heard is in a New York Comic Con interview, Blue Del Barrio said that Adira and Grey were quote unquote partners in crime, but I Mm. had no idea what they meant. And I certainly would not have expected them to be literal partners and for Gray to technically be deceased. Yeah, that was that was a shock. And it was also. Well, to start with, it was weird to see their like teen angst kind of played up on the screen. It's like, oh, you're going to be my partner for life. You're 16. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was very, it was actually very No, accurate. to be fair, if, if you receive a symbiote, like, are you really 16 or are you, like, older than 16? Well, then that, that also kind of underlines how dating must be really weird if you're a trill. I mean, you're essentially dating someone who's immortal, in, yeah. a, in a sense. Again, there's there's always the big question of, like, much like Adira asked in this episode, like, how much are you gray and how much are you these other people? Uh, so you, you always wonder, like, yeah, I guess you're going to move on, in a manner of speaking, and I'm not. How does that change our relationship? And it's something that got touched upon a little bit. I'm glad it wasn't the focus. Like, I'm glad the source of drama and the brief blip we get of their relationship was not around that. I feel like in a very different show, it could have been like, Adira leaves Grey because they feel like they don't know their partner yep. anymore. So I'm glad that they sort of got over it. And it speaks to their relationship as well, that like you said, while it's nubile, it seems very strong. I think they had a really great chemistry. And I'm assuming they're going to have great chemistry to come, though we have no idea in what perspective. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work, but I did like Adira's just snap, split-second decision. All right, we have this option to let Gray continue on, or to to let all of Tal continue on. Yeah, Tal, yeah. Yeah, we just got to put, we got to, I think part of that was just like, I don't want Gray to totally die. You got to put the, you got to put the worm in me. Well, especially because Gray, it really did seem like this was something that Gray had been dreaming of for so long, and Adira was sort of like the supportive partner. Yeah. And so, like, Gray's legacy lives on quite literally in the form of, like, it was now a host, so now it's a spirit, his spirit is contained in the symbiote, but also, like, this was something that was really important to you. I'm going to accept it. And we sort of called it last week, right? This is sort of the the major Kira ends up taking Keiko's baby of, like, a freak accident happens. The only person nearby is is able to do it. And so this is how we get this freak circumstance of a human trill hybrid. But it's interesting that it was something they were even going to try. I guess I'm surprised they didn't name check Riker taking on the Mm – Odan back in the day in TNG because it seems like that's the only other time they've ever stuck one of those inside a non-trill. Although there's an asterisk on this, Mike, which mm. if you want me to go down another DS9 path, it's super I mean, I'd, lo- I'd love to hear it because I think that's going to be very pertinent as to, I think, the biological implications. I guess my thought was like, it's almost like when you get uh, a kidney that's not your blood type, like how long do you have before it rejects it? But is that right. not the case? It's apparently it's not okay. because um, there is one other instance of a trill symbiont going into a person who is not a full blooded trill, and this is um, there's a Deep Space Nine episode called Children of Time. Oh in, yes, 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 yes. This is the 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 when they run into future Dax in a manner yes. of speaking. They run into they run into a world where it's a duplicate of them that got knocked back in time and it's their mm. descendants that they run into. And so there is a Yedrin Dax who's like five hosts down the line from Jadzia and 
he's part human, he's part Trill, he's part Klingon, he's a descendant of Worf and Dax, basically. Mm -hmm. And you have to assume that when Jadzia died in this alternate timeline, they took the worm out and put it in like her grandchild. Right, because there were no other, there were no other Trill on on the ship when it, on the Defiant when it crashed. I just don't know, like, where does it go? Like, there's so much stuff packed into human anatomy. Like, there's not really a slot there for the symbiote. Yeah, I suppose that the Trills probably have a pocket. Yeah, that's what I would imagine, right? Their, their anatomy is naturally built for, like, a cavern to put yeah. to put that, that little worm in. Or what, like, the squid is, I think, how Adira referred to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, that's the accidental haiku in the episode that I was like, whoa, are they just going to haiku <laughs> their way all through the episode? I have a squid and you threw up in a wormhole. Things are pretty weird. That's a haiku. And that's also a fantastic description of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 so far, too. So far, yes. I thought it was a pretty good encapsulation. Although that is something that this show really likes to do is come up with a pithy little thing that's quotable that sums up everything that's happened. And I think yeah. there's been like 10 of those so far. And a little, yeah, a little bit of lampshading as well of like, hey, yeah, you think things are weird? Remember when uh, we took Giorgio from the Mirror Universe where she was like a, a emperor, empress terrorist? Like, let's, ha- <laughs> let's just like just a quick reminder of where we are in reality reality right now yeah i i feel like it's like let me explain no there's too much let me sum up yeah exactly tldr so let's, yeah. let's talk about so obviously you know adira is able to come to well so here's my question so do you think because adira said at the beginning of the episode like the last thing i remember is waking up in an escape pod a year ago so do you think it's sort of like a combination of not having the host memories plus repressing apparently their own memory until you do you think that Adira's first memory period was waking up in that escape pod a year ago it really seems like it was it really seems like and they sort of chalk it up to trauma from right. being on this ship that got destroyed so that's sort of like a, a dodge soji thing from star trek picard right yeah of like, oh yeah i was created a year ago and i just sort of like in that case it's the opposite where they were created only a short time ago and had memories filled in whereas adira is, pro- is definitely much older than one but only has the memories from a year ago right and then i suppose they find adira and they scan and they're like oh wow you've got a drill thing inside you and your name's Adira, and that's kind of all you go on from there. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah, your name's Adira. Or, like, maybe someone shakes, like, Adira, get up! And so yeah. it's like, well, thank God that person didn't get Adira's name wrong, or they just have a completely different identity the entire time. Yeah, I wanted to talk about what is a generation ship, because this was mm. something they kind of gloss over really quickly. And I think, I want to I want to find out, what do you know about what that is? And then we'll see if we can figure it out together. Yeah, so I've I've heard this a couple of times. Um, I've heard it like referenced. I actually think it was referenced in Lower Decks, and so it's not like a type of ship, right? It's not like uh, a continental or or that type of thing. Yeah, it's, no, it's not a galaxy class, right? I I think I don't know. Is it is it more like almost like a cruise ship, or it's more of like a big catch all ship that like takes people to to where they're supposed to go? My sense of it is that the reason that there are such young people aboard this ship is that it's the kind of ship where you leave your home world and you do not expect to return. And so I mean that would be my guess. Oh, uh, Andrew, yeah. So so it's sort of like it's actually what Saru said Discovery was last time. Right. Yeah. They're like, oh, we were gone for so long that we are the descendants of the original yes. people who left. So this the ship itself has seen many generations of people, hence the name. Yes, exactly. 
Okay, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's what they mean, and that's like they're on this ship, so they're going to live their entire lives there, and then their descendants are going to go wherever they're going, which probably is something you do a lot more of after the burn. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Because you're sort of like, hey, screw this place. We're going to try to find the Federation, and it does seem like, uh, you know, so I guess because we'd assume that Senatol went directly into Adiratol, but I guess... Senna went into Gray, so I guess Senna was not even aboard the ship, probably died before this whole right. transfer think, and, and death of Gray yeah. happened. I think Gray got joined before he ever got on the ship. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think that all three scenes or three or four scenes that take place did not happen on the generation ship. They didn't right. happen to take care. At least I hope they didn't do the transfer, the, the transplant while they were, you know, in space en route to to the Federation. Yeah, I mean, how dark is that? That it's like, well, we're going to bring an extra trill with us in case you die so we can get your slug. Exactly. Like, oh, let's have, you know, we'll, we'll bring some some bonus trills just in case. Let's. Pre- it's almost like lifeboats in that circumstance, right? Yeah. Like, you got to make sure you have enough trills for the trill on board. Or like the air and the spare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have to make sure you have enough in reserve. But I mean, I guess we should stay on the note of gray because one of the bigger mysteries moving forward from this episode is the fact that Adira can apparently see gray i don't know if i should put gray in quotes because you would say on the one hand like you talked about at the end of equilibrium this might just be like a manifestation of seeing this past self in gray obviously there's a lot of trauma and drama affiliated with that it would make sense that adira is is sort of working through that by seeing their past boyfriend on the other hand star trek discovery is a show that as we just talked about has a realm of reality where it might be completely possible that Gray is somehow corporeal now, or at least conscious, and that there's a chance that Gray may become a full-out character now moving forward. Yeah, it's interesting. I can't really tell. And I was actually texting you while I was watching this episode, asking, okay, what was the name of that guy that followed Hurley around that he was hallucinating? And his name is Dave. And I, I think Gray is almost kind of akin to like the Dave to Adira's Hurley, uh, in that I think he just is going to sort of be with her. And it's the way that she connects. It's like the visualization of how she is connecting with yeah. him internally. So I don't know that he's really corporeal or conscious it's more like this is how we're showing adira connecting with her previous host so what you what i i hope you're saying is that we won't have a scene where gray is going to convince adira to throw themselves off a cliff because the entire ship is a simulation and to prove that like this all isn't real and then a tearful confessional uh and then it cuts to colber actually was in a psycho institution beforehand that he was truly he was in there with adira before I, I'm pretty sure that's not how we're going to play it, but I don't know. I just summarized like two entire episodes of DS9 and I'm about to do another one. So I think it's fair to say we're just going to talk about other shows in the service of explaining what happened in this one. So my theory right now is actually something that was done not on DS9, but Discovery mm. last season. Uh, so the beginning of the season, if we may remember, had this really Weird storyline with Tilly, if we remember, where she got like a piece of the spore drive or a a spore on her. And then the spore drive essentially like manifested itself in the form of May, I believe her name was, which was like Tilly's childhood friend. And it was very much a Dave situation, like you said, where like this was, quote unquote, her imaginary friend. No one could see her. It followed her around. She talked to it but nobody else could hear it. It led to a lot of misunderstandings. Uh, But in this case, like 
May was alive. Again, this was a spore that had come to sort of basically tell everyone like, hey, get your pollution, a.k.a. Hugh Colber, out of our, our uh, mycelial network. But it, it had sort of through science-y, Y-N-C-y ways uh, manifested itself in this physical form. I would not be surprised if this was the case here, especially with as technically driven of a show as Discovery is that like, oh, when we went through this nebula, uh, you know, the, the memory of Grey actually came to life. Or it could be a side effect of a human host, uh, a host human tr- hybrid here of, well, we haven't seen this before. And what may happen is that you have a chance of, you know, the, the last trill host is the one who takes the, the front and center focus. I'm not entirely sure, but I would bet you that I think at some point this season, Gray is going to actually like become physical in the place that everyone will now be able to to see him. I do not know. I do not think he'll spend the entire rest of the nine episodes of the season as just like uh, someone that only Adira can see, Great Gazoo style. It's it's an interesting thought, Mike, and and it would be it wouldn't be unprecedented because as we talked about, we talked a little bit about. Um, Dax's Jantara ceremony where the different hosts were able to go into the bodies of her friends. I think we could see something like that happen. I think we could mm-hmm. see Grey go into somebody else. Yeah, that's um, very true. And I think I also I also feel like this is the last time I'm going to talk about another DS9 episode because this is not a DS9 podcast even though I kind of wish it was. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about the season 7 episode Field of Fire. Where Jadzia's gone and now we have Ezri Dax. And in order to track a serial killer on board DS9, she performs something called the Rite of Emergence. And she allows her previous host, the aforementioned Jaron Dax, comes out of her and is playing the Dave role. He's being her Dave and right, walking so, so her it's through. Dave, it's Dave combined with Silence of the Lambs. Like, well, I need to, yes. get, to get to see the mind of a serial killer. I have to talk to a serial killer. Exactly. And so she... He Hannibal lectures her all through the process of finding this serial killer. And I don't believe other people could see him, but he was very much outside of her and interacting with her in this very similar way. So it's almost like Adira may have performed an accidental rite of emergence or because Adira is not biologically trill. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, it's like somehow this happened without Adira being conscious of it. Right. And it, it could be sort of the side effect of, you know, uh, Karen Robinson asks Adira, like, yeah, I'm n- now that I approve of you, I'm going to help you with your training. And Adira's like, no, I'm good. I feel like I'm needed on Discovery. Maybe maybe they should have needed a couple of days of training if, if a side effect is like now Gray is here and they don't know why. I mean, good. Adira and Grace seem happy. I thought it was a very lovely scene, especially with the two of them not playing music together, but sort of them playing music together yeah. because again, the, the, the symbiote of it all, but it's, it's a big question mark moving forward for this storyline as to where do we go from here? Considering that one of these characters may or may not exist at this point in time. Yeah, that is, that is going to be an interesting thing. And I feel like, I think you're right. It has to go somewhere because I don't think we want to watch an entire season of that. I think it's good for a couple of scenes. I don't know that it's great for a whole season. And I also think it was short-sighted for a variety of reasons for Adira to not stay on Trill for a while because this is the first time they've ever done this. It feels like they're going to want to have the scientists look into it, especially if they're going to condone it. They're Mm -hmm. going to say you don't have to be a Trill to get a slug. Maybe they should do some tests and make sure that that's okay. It's not going to have long-term 
implications, but maybe they figure, well, she went into the slug lake and the other hosts said it was all right. So we're going to just trust the other hosts. Yeah. I mean, that could be a thing as well. Uh, they're the ones that are most accepting uh, in that little fun moment of welcome to the circle. Who knew that that show still existed, you know, (laughs) more than a thousand years after the fact, but I guess now Adira is going to be the next person on it. So is one of the hosts not really who they say they are? Exactly. You know what? It's going to be like, I'm not actually gray. My name is Barry. Uh, I'm a mechanic (laughs) from Vulcan. Uh, I'm sorry. I was catfishing you the entire time. I was slug fishing you. So is one of the previous hosts. I, I really want one of the previous hosts now to be Professor Tim. I, I think Professor, I mean, I think that was sort of senatal, right? Seemed like he yeah. had like the long gray hair pulled back. Like yeah. I could very much see that. You're right. He's totally the Professor Tim. And I really wanted his secret message to be, be sure to drink your Ovaltine, but. <laughs> Just on the reco- decoder ring, like, damn it. Yeah. Damn it. Or, yeah. or, or, you know, Zora, Zara would have been like, oh, Ovaltine. I remember it fondly. Shall the crew drink Ovaltine tonight, Captain? <laughs> Everyone drink chocolate milk. Yeah. Um. Everyone would feel a lot more emotionally healthy if they were all given Red Rider BB guns. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And then just, and I, I mean, I would not be surprised. Maybe one day they'll do like a Star Trek Christmas episode where Zora teaches them about Christmas. Uh, <laughs> so they're, they're trying to like figure out what is this? How did they celebrate it? Why did they do this? And then Zora will screen like the end of White Christmas for them. And then they, <laughs> they all sort of like huddle around the fire and, and, and you know, reflect upon it. Yeah, the Christmas special. I, I think there's a, definitely a short trek in there yeah. of like some kind of ecumenical um, Earth holiday season. It's like there's there are no seasons on a starship. There's no winter. Right. Well, that's the thing. Maybe then to bring it back home, Gray is sort of the ghost of Christmas past for ah. Adira. And so there's going to be two more hosts that are going to come to visit later on in the season. Yep. Did you notice, Mike, that one of the past hosts had the Picard era uniform on? Oh, I didn't see that. That's interesting. I mean, that would make sense, right? Like the 2400s to now, it would make sense that they would pass. Though I guess, I don't know. We don't know when the tall symbiote was born necessarily. So maybe maybe it would not automatically have, have made its way through those days, but I'm glad that it did because it might have had some interesting memories of that. Yeah, well, it looked like there were only six hosts. I, yeah. I think Gray was number six. So it wasn't that super old. It's kind of Jadzia aged, but it seems like... It seems like trills live, like the slugs live for many hundreds of years. And we know that they could live for at least a thousand years based on children of time. Mm, That's very true. And who knows? Maybe a slug ended up getting joined to like a Vulcan. And we know that the Vulcans live for a very, very, very long time. So it's like the you can prolong the life of the slug by putting it in someone. Like, is there some kind of diminishing return on that? Like if you're only joined for a few months, does it kind of hurt your slug or mm. does the slug just go into somebody else and yeah. they're fine? It's sort of like a, a deposit, right? Like you want to stay in a in a host long enough to sort of like feel like you're financially invested in it. Otherwise, right. you're going to lose money if you leave after a short portion of time. Right, right. So I, I don't know exactly how that works, but it looks like Tal was around for the burn and around for a bit before that, and maybe not around that much more. And Mike, I think you saw that uh, in my research on trills this week, I found out that um, the Dax symbiont, the slug itself, was born in 2018. My so, God. So, you know, the, the slug could be at playgroup with Asher. Yeah, exactly. Or the slug could be like, let me tell you about Avengers Endgame. 
You know, th- <laughs> that great Earth movie from 2019. Though I guess it would have been it would have been one year old at that point, so maybe it wouldn't have had the memories. But yeah, that is weird, right? That's almost the oppositional effect of when in previous media it'd be like, ah, oh, the year 2000 or Back to the Future 2. This is the yeah. opposite, where it's like, this. things are so far, especially this season, into the distant future, but this is like, back in 2018. I mean, we're yeah. encroaching upon the, the years of the Bell Riots, right? That's sort of like a trippy thought, speaking of DS9. I don't know. It gets less and less trippy with each passing day, Mike. <laughs> more and more real, speaking back to the timeliness little, of it all. Bell Riots are a little too real, Mike. Um, I, I do note that I think the thing the slugs do like the the slug is much older than the sum of its human lives because or its trill lives because it spends some time in the pools like sometimes it's like i don't really want to be joined this this round i'm going to sit this out i'm going to go back to the pools and reproduce or it's i think dax actually lived in the pools for a couple hundred years and then was joined to its first host in the early days of the Federation. So mm. it's interesting that also, you know, I mean, a lot of rules being broken on Trill, but that Michael, they sent in Michael specifically, like after a deer. Maybe they just felt like the, the cat was so much out of the bag at this point yeah. with like a human host hybrid that they're like, okay, you know what? Sure, human, you can go in here. We're just going to shock the pool a lot. So it induces this state of, uh, what was it like commencement? I think they called it. Uh, so you can slip into the pool and, and go get a Dira. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, we put one human in the pool. We might as well just let all the humans in the pool Exactly, now. they've dirtied the waters enough. Look at it. It's so murky. Yeah, look, the, the thing cracked. Yeah, the one thing cracked. I also, so in um, this week's Ready Room, there was a fun little behind-the-scenes clip as to how they did the sort of pulling under the water. And literally, the stunt coordinator held his breath, got underwater, <laughs> they called action, and then on a verbal cue, they reached up and pulled the actor under the water. Well, that seems like, I feel like that's one of the practical effects. I didn't really wonder about that much, Mike. It just seems like, oh, I know how they did that. Somebody was under the water pulling some of the, them down. I don't know. You, you know, you. I feel like in a burgeoning world of CGI, especially in Star Trek, sometimes you look like, oh, yeah, there's sometimes good old practical things to do of like how to get someone sucked yeah. underneath, you know, uh, though I could imagine from like the actor side, it's got to be weird to prepare for, right? Of like, yeah. OK, I'm going to get pu- pulled, yanked out from under me, my middle just get pulled underwater and I have to follow behind it, but not also like take a sudden intake of breath because it's supposed to be yeah. a surprise. They have to kind of know it's not coming. Or not right. I mean, I, I always, you know, not to go back to loss, I, I always am so interested in how actors act underwater, considering that, like, the primary <laughs> yeah. function is to survive and hold your breath and to be able to also personify emotions at that point is just uh, a genuinely uh, commend worthy. And so I, I also commend, you know, I guess surface of the water acting as well. Yeah, it's all like anytime you introduce water into the acting, it's it's another level. Like just ask Esther Williams, who, you know, that's going to be Zora's next film festival. Yeah, exactly. The Zora Film Festival. I mean, we'll see. It's it went over so swimmingly. I wonder, do you think Saru like really blanched <laughs> at all? Like, did he did he like blink at all when he noticed that the computer's voice changed for a hot second? I don't think he noticed. Like that was the weird thing. Like you don't even see him react to it. He's just like, huh, computer sounds a little different. Maybe it's got a cold. Yeah. Well, also, His again, threat ganglia didn't go up. This could be a thing, like you said, of them being like, well, enough weird shit has happened on this show. Like, sure, the computer sounds a little different today. Let's move on and, and talk about more yeah. sort of icebreakers. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe it is a good good idea to exercise more and limit dairy. 
Yeah, sound advice. Good job, computer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's 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 like New Year's resolutions number one and number two as a human. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So I my one other question that I had this episode that I think is going to be a fun one to speculate about is where do we think these coordinates are? Because Michael seemed very surprised to receive them. Yeah, so, I mean, I saw a little bit, there was a, a preview of the next episode on the Ready Room, which didn't show anything. It was just Saru and Michael sort of, like, engaging in some foreplay in a manner of speaking of, like, well, we're going to see the Federation. This is exciting. What should we do? I can't wait. To- <laughs> so, I don't know. It, it might just be, like, a random corner of the universe. I don't know if it's anywhere specific. You know, I, I think it could be fun if it's, like, of all, it's on Cardassia, of all places, you know, but <laughs> but but I, I wonder if it's just some random-ass pocket of the universe that is somehow hidden from everything. Uh, that they may, I would not be surprised if they're, like, able to, like, cloak themselves, you know? I'm I'm rooting for Gorn Homeworld myself. That'd be interesting, like, hey, Or weddings, Tellarites, give me some Tellarites. That, I would love, yes, Tellarites would be very, I mean, they have so many weird planets to choose from over thousands of episodes of Star Trek that, like, sure, Pick any one of the weirdest cultures that you had in there and like put put everyone in there and because no one would suspect the Federation would live on the planet that you mentioned last week where half the population has white face on one side and black face on the other side. The other half has black face on one side and white face on the other side. (laughs) That would be awesome. That would be the home world. Maybe the best one or uh, how about the Edosians? Remind me of the Edosians? They're the ones with the three arms. They had one um, from the animated series. Uh, okay. They had one in Lower Decks. Yes, 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 yes. Now I remember the sort of like weird, like General Grievous looking ones. Yes, those are the ones. Or uh, Cations. Cations are always popular. You know, there there were like six Cations in my Star Trek play by email group. Oh, really? That's very interesting. I, I think they were just repressed furries, but I don't know that for sure. <laughs> or they're like they're like the eponymy, like the uh, epitome of the cat ladies is like, well, now I can finally be a cat. <laughs> Yes. Well, everybody wants to be a cat. At least that's what Disney taught me. But imagine a ship full of Cations. That'd be so interesting. Cation research ship. It's like um, everybody's quarters has like, you know, they, you know, they, their breaks to uh, deal with their mental health are much better. Like they just give everybody a laser pointer. Or, uh, you know, a Cation trill would be the most trippy thing because like talk about nine lives. Oh, man, like your next host after your previous host was a Cation. It's just like, oh, all of a sudden, I really want to go eat a lot of tuna. And yeah. um, oh, do I smell catnip? Oh, my gosh. I'm gonna yeah, go, and then, like, I'm how gonna do you that. move on from that? Like, if you go into another trail, it's like, yeah, one of my previous hosts was a Cation. So I still have some cat like reflexes that I'm going to use. Yeah, they're, they're trying to seduce somebody. So they like kill a bird and drop it on their front step. Exactly. You can never lose that Cation for yourself. You want to be like a deer and be able to actually like, yeah, I'm going to, uh, you know, what? I'll accept eight of these nine hosts. I'm going to repress this <laughs> one. I don't know if I need to access the Cation host. Yeah. You know what? Cation host, you just sit this one out. It's yeah. Cool. Do not welcome to the circle. I'm not crossing my arms in front of my chest like a vampire. You are not welcome. Yeah, we need to talk about that gesture, too, because it is not in any of the DS9 canon, as far as I can tell. And it is very similar to Wakanda, the Wakandan salute. It is, it's a little bit different. Like I said, Wakanda, you know, it's, it's fist clenched. This is more, like I said, like, open yeah. palms, like your, 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 uh, 
typical when you're in improv class and you're like miming being at a, at a in a funeral and in a in a coffin you like cross your yeah. arms in front of yourself that's what they were doing but yeah it's, it's oddly similar to a salute from a very popular piece of pop culture that exists right now that that dax would would even know as well considering it started around this time yeah, Dax definitely was the one that told them all about Black Panther. Yeah, you know what? Maybe it was like, oh, you guys got to start doing this. Man, who knew that trill appropriation would have come from Dax of all people? Well, look, you know, we are all different, but we are all the same, Mike. Listen, I don't know. We, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, we had one of those episodes. Now we have one of these like really emotional, uh, you know, non uh, pulse pounding episodes. I wonder where we're going from here. I mean, it does seem like we're going to the Federation next week, which I'm surprised about. Uh, I thought this would have been the entire season. So I have no idea where we're going from here. But it seems like they have the coordinates, so we might as well follow. Mike, it feels like they do this a lot. Like last season, weren't we saying we thought the whole season was going to be following the Red Angel impulses? And now, you know, this season, we... We get there in five episodes, and then we got uh, how many more to deal with everything that happens after that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to, to think about the fact that we are more than a third of the, or yeah, a little bit, a, a little bit less than third, a third of the way through the season. Uh, but that mean that's still a significant chunk, and so we could go in many, many different directions here. But I'm very excited with the way Disco season three has been going. This episode in particular, so it's it's made me really happy. Uh, you know, again, it's it's been a very fraught month emotionally and to have disco and this podcast in particular in what i feel is like a very strong season has been something to keep me buoyant while other things might try to yank my waist and pull me beneath the surface yeah i think that is that's a fair assessment mike i i feel like this is kind of i i feel like maybe this particular episode was the therapeutic coloring book that we all desperately needed this week amen Yes. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I too am excited about what's going to be happening in the future. I appreciate the opportunity to geek out about trills for an entire hour. I did not think this was knowledge. Like this may be the first time I've ever actually practically applied something I learned in college. So there's that. I mean, listen, I mean, yeah, as, as, as pop culture becomes a larger part of our day-to-day lives, the things that we've learned in our lives, much like, you know, accessing our previous memories, much like Adira did as well, they become of great service to our futures. So I'm happy that we're able to sort of slumdog millionaire some of your trill knowledge here just for the sake of this podcast. Yeah, I feel like I've really explored one of my previous identities in great detail. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's great. It's I mean, we got to explore the, uh, yeah, the role-playing email aspect of it, which is great. Yeah, you know, I'm still in touch with uh, at least three of the people that I played this game with. So I don't know if they listen to this podcast, but if you do, please hit me up and let me know. Um, I think my captain and my chief medical officer and the XO that I had the that I had the romance with were all still friends. So oh, if you guys are out there, hit me up. If you're out there, do like a senatorial thing. Like if you are out there, yeah. please come find us. <laughs> USS Phantom, if you're out there. Please get in touch. Get at me. <laughs> I love it. I, I love Senatal it. definitely ended that with get at me. Yeah, exactly. Like they, they just cut they cut off the plugs at the end, unlike this podcast. No, we are we are moving into the plugs now, Mike, because I want to make sure that you all know that Post Show Recaps now has a Patreon. 
And it is very exciting. Uh, to sign up for that, you can go to postshowrecaps.com slash Patreon, and it will take you to a page that explains all of the wonderful perks you can get when you support this podcast. For just a few dollars a month, you can get access to extra podcasts, including one that Mike did this past week, where he and Josh Wiggler and Emily Fox rewatched the classic film – Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, and it was hilarious. Oh, I loved it, Mike. You. Thank you. It was it was very fun. I got to talk about my own sort of like personal associations with Austin Powers, which sort of came at a very formative age for me. I was one of like the first VHSs I remember my family owned. Uh, you know, the Austin Powers theme played a part in, in an event in my life. Uh, speaking of college, and it, it just is one of those. <laughs> it's one of those movies that you and I both just like end up frequently quoting in our households for one reason or another. It has really stood the test of time. It also sort of did Disco Season 3 before Disco Season 3 of like a, a somewhat sort of, yes. you know, Disco has been frozen in time in a manner of speaking for 930 years. And now that they're unfrozen, the world looks so different. It's very true, Mike. I'm not sure who got to go on a podcast this week and reveal the more embarrassing thing they did in college, if it's you or me. I don't know. But, it's, I don't know if it's embarrassing or badass for me. <laughs> You know, I'm gonna go with that too. I don't know if this is embarrassing or badass. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, a lot of college memories that get revealed. But yes, be sure to check that out. Also, I know that Jess, you come out with a fantastic weekly newsletter uh, for post show recaps patrons that not only wraps up all the coverage that's done every week. You have a great little sort of op ed section where you talk about some of the stuff that you're doing, and you get to interview some pretty cool content creators on the network, including this week yours truly, where I talked. A lot about uh, how I love the new Apple or new, not so new, new for me, Apple TV show Central Park and how I am very excited. Speaking of Christmas specials for the Rankin Bass claymation shows that are soon to be popping up on our TVs in a month or so. Man, I, I don't know. I hope that they're going to be on actual TV and not on I know. just on streaming. Well, that's the thing. I think, you know, is it sort of like, you know, uh, so go the peanuts, you know, will uh, will the rest move over? I guess it really depends on, you know, if they don't have that, what is Freeform going to fill their 25 days of Christmas with? They only have so much content. So hopefully they're they're able to do it because i i you know i'm the only person in my immediate circle of people my spouse included who actually like them but damn it makes me smile just like this episode did you know it's really the the buster keaton in that perspective of of holiday time specials well your kid's almost old enough that he'll sit through them with you mike so you'll have him Exactly. But yeah, there's a lot of other great stuff. Of course, uh, community building just actually just came out with a podcast as we're recording this. Josh is doing watching with Wiggler. So, I mean, we're still at the beginning of the month as well. Uh, You know, be the symbiote, get into uh, this host in a manner of speaking and take full (laughs) advantage from a chronological perspective of a full month, basically, of great post-show recaps content. Also, just spoke about the Discord, which has just been humming with so much great stuff we're talking about so much tv so much movies and so much off-topic stuff really you know we eclipsed a month of the patreon and i don't think any of us could have expected to see as fervent of a patron community as we did so join the throng we're happy to have you yeah i cannot it's weird i cannot imagine my life without that discord now it's really become such a great community almost overnight and there are so many people you can talk about 
everything under the sun with. You can just get into a GIF war if that's what you want to do. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. been for those, fun. For those that don't know, you know, or don't use Discord, it's a very good, robust forum system. It's not like Jess's listserv back in the day. No. But it's, it's a fun way to have, you know, easy, good, very fast-moving conversations. Hey, you know, maybe we need to have a Discord Star Trek simulator. That'd be interesting. I, I, I would be intrigued to find out if people are already doing that, because it does feel like, you know, it's it's used for so much gaming and so much simulations anyway. It feels like the, I don't see why people shouldn't be doing it. I feel like there should be a role-playing channel for, just for this kind of thing, and I'm sure it exists already. Uh, but you could do that. You could also, if your gaming tastes are a little more conventional, they do play Among Us and other games regularly mm-hmm. in our live streams. So that is also a fun thing. I, I don't play them myself, but I watched a really robust round of that the other day. And we have watch parties. We have all kinds of stuff there in the Discord. I think that might be the singular best benefit you get. Although, if you get up to the $15 level, you get a Wombats hat. So there's that, too. Yeah, absolutely. And you can also build towards uh, other benefits. Like at 750 patrons, Josh and I will do a podcast called The Wiggle Bloom, where we'll do, you know, basically a bunch of random stuff, including brand steals, which, Jess, you spoke of Star Wars beforehand. And this has a little bit of crossover with post show recaps, even though it was RHAP proper in celebration of the one month anniversary of the Patreon, as well as the coverage of The Mandalorian currently happening, happening on post show recaps myself. Josh Wiggler and the great Rob Sesser, you know, got together to do Star Wars Survivor, uh, 18 luminaries from in and sort of out of the Star Wars universe came together to play Survivor. It's been a bit of a yachtist for the brand steals, but it was a very, very fun time. So if you're into checking out more galactic content and you're jonesing for reality TV based galactic content for some reason, Jess and I did the one for Star Trek several several months ago, but now it was Star Wars turn. Yeah, it's weird that we've never done that before, Mike. I know. Yeah, it definitely is one of those things. So now everything is in balance. But I also know that, Jess, you and I are hanging out on RHAP proper with Rob Cetronino covering The Amazing Race as well, which sort of, unlike Discovery, has coordinates but doesn't necessarily know where to go. No teams have printed out a map and distributed it to only a select group of teams. But maybe they would have benefited (laughs) from that. Yeah, maybe they would have needed to call upon their previous hosts to print out a map for them. And the more that I think about it, actually, the more I can sort of see Disco sort of being in, like, an amazing race season, right? They land in a country where, like, they don't really speak the language, quote-unquote. They're like, hey, where do, how do I get to this place? And they're sort of relying on local help from that perspective, and they're accomplishing tasks along the way. Oh, my God, Mike. You just, you just made me think of something. Um, I was thinking back to the time that I designed an amazing race course – based in the Game of Thrones universe, and I made Rob simulate the entire Game of Thrones amazing race without the benefit of a Brant Steel. Mm-hmm. And we always thought we should do another one, but we thought Walking Dead got way too dark. Right. But we could do it. We should do a Star Trek Amazing Race. I think a Star Trek Amazing Race would be a lot of fun. I think we could definitely, uh, you know, save it for the Amazing Race slash Star Trek off season. So let's we can pencil that yes. in for early 2021. Uh, but I, I think it's definitely an exercise worth exploring because we can span the entire Star Trek franchise of dynamic duos or not so dynamic duos that I think would be very fun exploring the universe together. It ends up being such a 
such a headache when um, Spock and McCoy U-turn Tilly and Stamets. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah, and Tilly and Stamets, they just sort of like, they grouse, grumble and grouse the other time. Stamets especially. Stamets is like, you U-turn me? We definitely, I mean, I guess to sort of close, close the book with where we started things, we got a lot of season one Stamets in this episode, and I liked, yes. it. It was yes, fun. It was very fun. I'm like, oh, it's good to see that little grumbly, grumpus Stamets back for a hot second. Yeah, I missed that guy. It's nice to have. Well, it's nice to have this show back in my in my eyeballs. Agreed. Um, and speaking of, you know, speaking of shows that are back, uh, Josh Wiggler and I are also doing um, a hybrid show, and we're joined by the great Brandon Chappelle. And we every week we are talking about Fear the Walking Dead and Walking Dead World Beyond in a show we are calling Fear the Walking Dead World Beyond. Watching these shows is very optional when it comes to this podcast. We tell you everything that happened and then we make fun of it really hard. So that is a very fun podcast that we're doing. And Mike, I understand you're also doing some coverage of the Walking Dead universe right now. Yeah, so for CBR.com, I have somehow found myself becoming one of their go-to Walking Dead guys. Why? I, Why would you do this to yourself, Mike? I have no idea. Well, I mean, for what it's worth, I guess I found a good opportunity to come into Fear the Walking Dead because I have really enjoyed what I've watched so far uh so i have a bunch of interviews up like for example i interviewed garrett dylan hunt last week about a really great episode for him i'm gonna have one coming out next week uh i will not disclose the actor's name because i'm not sure what marketing information is out there but it should be a good one as well so i'm, I'm taking care of that i'm also writing about star trek for cbr.com as well this past week i did my weekly recap as well as did some breakouts about uh you know basically the story of adira and gray and what it can mean and also that call out that we talked about with Calypso getting on the way to Calypso, I would say, beginning the transition to Calypso. We're not officially there yet. So a lot of stuff as well as lost down the hatch with Josh as well. Talking expose. We unearthed a lot of discussion about that. So check it all out. There's so much stuff going on on poster recaps right now. I know that TV is a weird scene, but it is somehow more bustling than maybe it has ever been. And we are here to cover it all. Yeah, it's very strange. I thought that TV was going to grind to a halt and it really this is the busiest I've ever been in the podcasting arena right yeah. now. Though let's let's, you know, see when it gets to early 2021 because right now it's all these shows that were in production before things yes. had shut down. So, we'll see if things sort of catch up to us, but right now at the end of 2020 it is good to be a fan of TV. It absolutely is. I wouldn't say we're in peak TV, but we're definitely not at the nadir. Yeah, we're we're coasting right now. I think we're in like a very, yeah. very good level right now. Very good elevation. Yes. Yes, indeed, Mike. So I guess that's about all we need to cover. Is there anything else you want to say to the people? I don't think so. We're going to be back uh, in episode five. Let let us know your thoughts during the week. I know that we're we're not too much about the feedback just because, you know, uh, the questions are few and far between. And also we, we record these a couple days after. But like. Always feel free to send us your thoughts. Jess is at Haymaker Hattie. I'm at a Mike Bloom type and, of course, at Post Show Recap. So if you have any thoughts about the episodes or theories, especially with the show as you watch them, send them our way. We're always happy to entertain them. Yep. I, I, we love hearing from you. Um, any kind of feedback you want to give. We have a dedicated podcast feed to Star Trek now. So mm. if you wanted to rate and review us there, we'd love that. That helps other people find the podcast and elevates the discourse, um, as always. So. I want to thank you, Mike, for joining me once again in all of the madness. And I want to thank everybody here for listening, all our patrons for supporting us. We get to thank them now, which is very exciting. And live long and prosper, everyone. We'll see you next week. <laughs>